one more round we were recording a night early this week because Stephen's jet setting away for the day tomorrow where are you off to? for anyone who doesn't know the wondrous beauty that is Port Leash um, it's indescribable but <laughs> I'll be down there for the entire day with work unfortunately so you, you're not you're not like having a nice relaxing day to yourself pampering now <laughs> no not quite <laughs> meetings and more meetings Oh, sounds fun. Well, we'll have fun tonight. Tonight we'll be having a look back at, la- at a few of last week's Premier League games, a recap what, of what will surely go down as the best Rugby World Cup so far, a Pro 12 roundup, and we'll start to look towards Ireland's Euro 2016 qualifier playoff game against Bosnia, plus many more. But as always, we'll start off with the question of the week. So this week, it's a Champions League-related question. Um, only two players have been sent off in the Champions League final. Name those two players. Yeah. He's got that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Um, so we'll start off a bit of football talk about the Premiership last weekend, and I suppose no place to start except for Chelsea v Liverpool. Mourinho, I have nothing to say. Have you guys got a lot to say about this? Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on the game? I'm sure you enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely did. Um, I suppose after four minutes and Chelsea were one up, I was fearing the worst. I thought it was going to be another one of those days for us at the bridge, but I think we responded quite well without creating a lot. Um, the goal we got right on half time was perfect for us. It gave us a real lift going in at the break. And once we equalised, well, we were on top, I would say, before we equalised, but once we got that goal, it, it looked like there was only going to be one winner. Um, bar maybe five, ten minute spell in the second half, it was all us from there, and thankfully, Coutinho popped up with a second, and Benteke came off the bench to seal the win. Uh, much needed three points for us, and a uh, big win away at Stamford Bridge, that hasn't happened too often. Yeah, speaking of that first goal... Um, there was a bit of controversy around it I suppose with the whole two minutes were up and I don't know if you're, you're obviously watching it and I think it was BT had Howard Webb on saying that he shouldn't have, it should have, he should have blown up kind of on the 47 minute mark do you think what do you think of that? Yeah I, I did think just before before we scored like the, the two minutes were up and I was like put it in because we were kind of wide right I was like put it into the box because usually you don't get too much time I'm always a firm believer that if a, defend, a, a team is on the attack, the attack should come to a stop before the match blows up, but most referees wouldn't abide by that, and I was thankful on this occasion that the referee let the attack play out before blowing up. So let me ask you, if, if it had been Chelsea scoring against Liverpool at close to the 48th minute, would you be a bit pissed off with it, or would you have gone fair enough? No, I, of, course, of course you're going to be annoyed. Like When, when your team concedes, you're always... 
you're looking at what 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 went wrong or like is there any kind of excuse that we can make but I think it's not the the few extra seconds that scored the goal Liverpool scored the goal because Chelsea didn't defend right um, yeah yeah that was awful defending um, there was a couple of the, the ref had a couple of other decisions he could have made should Costa have gone should Lucas have gone yeah I think they both should have gone um, I don't think there's any arguments about the Diego Costa one I don't Clattenburg is looking straight at it and in the replay it kind of looks like he, he speeds up and running towards him after Costa kicks out I don't I don't know if he did see it or he didn't realise what had happened but they've decided not to take any action against Costa so he must have seen it and just not realised what had gone on yeah well that's what if, if, he, if they're not taking any action then surely Clattenburg must have said he's seen it Um. He must have. He must have seen it, but not not realised what had gone on. Maybe he just thought it was a tangle of legs. Um, with the Lucas one, yeah, he he should have got a yellow card for that. Um, it was a bookable offence. He was kind of. It was. It wasn't the worst tackle. Like there was worse tackles in the game, but by the letter of the law, he did kind of break up an attack, so it should have been a yellow card. I don't know if you heard the crap that like. Uh, Michael Owen and all were saying during the game, but he was like, "Oh, it's the ref made the right decision there. It wasn't the, it shouldn't that shouldn't be a red card. It it is a yellow card, but it shouldn't be a second yellow and all this sort of stuff." Yeah, Howard Webb was saying the same. I, I I've never been a believer of this. I think if it's a card, it's a card. It doesn't matter if you're on yellow or not. A foul is a foul, um, and a card is a card. You you don't get away with one because you're you've already been booked. I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. But in saying that, I wouldn't take what the BT commentators had uh, with too much uh, seriousness. I mean, Trevor Francis, I don't know what he was smoking, but as soon as Chelsea scored, he was like, oh, Liverpool need to make a change. There was five minutes gone in the game. I don't know what he was on. It's like he'd been let out for the first time in God knows how long. Absolutely ludicrous commentary. Ludicrous. For for all the money that BT are spending, like to get all these rights, and then they have these clowns that are uh, commentating on them and pun- doing punditry. Yeah, uh, it's awful. They, they, some of them are truly awful. The Hargreaves, I think, I don't think he's great either. I, I, uh, I should have shelled out the the big books to get Quinn in. <laughs> oh, that that Nile chap. No, thank you. <laughs> um, Stephen. Yeah. Mourinho, he's an excellent coach. But how long does he have left at Chelsea? Um, from rumours that are going around, he has about ninety-six hours left. Um, there have been rumours that, regardless of what's happened this week, as soon as the international break comes around, he's gone. Um, I knows a good time to change manager. Well, it's a good time to change manager if you have a candidate available to you, like Jurgen Klopp. Um, I don't necessarily see they have anyone lined up yet if they are going to go down that road it depends on if Mourinho can convince them that he can turn it around Like if, if they start with a win tonight they're still in the Champions League group they can still get top 4 but if this slide continues to the weekend and they don't win then you can see it very much being a case of um, the Chelsea board and more likely just Abramovich essentially just just paying him off uh, as he's probably wants to do right now. It's like nine million or something. 
Years away, pretty, yeah. I think initially it was 30 something million based on the full amount of his contract, which I don't think would ever be the case. Um, this talk this week that Monaco would have, have tried to, to buy out his contract, which I think is again a very strange move, move on their part. Bear in mind, they sold off all their best players because they didn't have the money, so suddenly, where, where the money to buy Mourinho would come from doesn't make sense. I I think he'll go, but he'll do it on his own terms. He won't wait for Abramovich to, to sack him. I see. And uh, Gary, uh, I think news came out this week that uh, Eva Canero is going to take some action against Mourinho about the whole thing that happened at the start of the season. What do you think of that? Yeah, that was that was to be expected. Like, he couldn't even admit he was in the wrong when he did that. The first game of the season, players down injured. What was, what was she and the other doctors supposed to just leave him down injured so that was always going to come back and, and haunt him but I think since that first game Mourinho hasn't been he, he hasn't been right he's always been looking for excuses and this and that and at the weekend against Liverpool it was the exact same Liverpool were the better team outplayed them but yet he's still looking for someone else's fault it's not his own or Chelsea's he's just not taking responsibility no and like like Stephen said he will be gone I've seen the the rumours as well that no matter what happens against Stoke once the international break hits he'll he'll get the sack and I saw rumours of Fabio Capello wanting the job but I don't know if they'd give it to him I think he came out this week and said that um, this is the first time that he's really been in this position and that kind of makes sense that he's not had to build a team up from nowhere he's come in he's got instant results in everywhere he's been they've been sustained or they've been good for two two and a half years and then he leaves this is the first time now he's have having to deal with he's the third and fourth the seasons now here. no but in confidence wise oh okay he's, so they've got they oh no sorry they have no confidence right now there's no morale they're having to replace people like john terry and their team and and drogba over the last year or two and it looks like he might know how to do this he knows the other parts of being a football manager buying players coaching them up teaching them systems but now he has to maintain it and he's never had to do that in his entire football career so maybe this is just something he's not very good at and he's, yeah. only, and he's only finding it out now yeah did you see his uh, interview after the game which one the Sky one or the BBC Sorry, one the one at BT we just kept saying I have nothing to say yeah just kept saying that it's like, it's like he cracked. No, yeah. Look, we, we did this at the, at the start of the season. He'll make a story that isn't about his team performance. If he can't find one, he'll make it about himself. That That's all that was. Just to wrap the Chelsea Liverpool talk up there, Chris. So, like, you mentioned Coutinho with his two goals. He had a cracking game. And Benteke scored as well. You kind of need those who to stay fit. Especially, kind of, what's the story with Sturridge? Especially since he can't seem to stay fit. What's the story there? Yeah, Sturridge, it's a, it's a different problem now. It's kind of a fluid in the knee, I think. So it it's not too serious, but I think with, with him, any kind of knock and you're worried that it's going to take longer than it would take the normal player. Um, with Coutinho, he did score the two goals, but he wasn't at his best for us. He's kind of been going through some rough form, but he got in great positions for the two goals and... He does make a habit of when he's in bad form, he kind of plays his way out of it. So I'm just hoping he can build on that now and 
string a few performances together because there's no doubt when uh, when he's on form we're a much better side it's a good trade to have to play your way out of form anyway but uh yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's just vital to keep Venteke fit now as well then is it yeah definitely I mean we started the game without a, a recognised striker I think Firmino did quite well he worked his socks off for the team but you could see the difference when we had, when we brought Benteke on. It just gave us another option, like a, a big, strong forward who can win the ball in the air more often than not and can hold the, the play up and feed in these, these creative uh, attacking players around the corners, like holding it up and then Firmino and Coutinho making runs off him. It's just another option to have and a very useful one, as we found out against Chelsea. Yeah, he took his goal well. Um a player who's been taking goals well for some time now is uh, Vardy. Uh, West Brom v Leicester and Vardy strikes again. Gary, that's eight games in a row now for him. How long can this run go on for? I'm hoping not too much longer. I don't want him to break Van Nistelrooy's record of ten in a row. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, he's been in he's been in great in great form for Leicester and. Like there, there's nothing else we can actually say about him. He's just he's in probably in the form of his career at the moment. And considering where he started and where he's at now, like it's incredible to see it. I, I'm absolutely delighted to see him. my fantasy football team has been benefiting from a big time. Just leave the captain's armband on him. It seems that's the tactic for for that. <laughs> well, what could happen is he's got eight now, so he's two up on this right. He's got Watford and Newcastle to come. That goes ten. And then to break the record, he'd have to score against Man United. So there is, there's definitely a, there's potential for him to break it. Um, there's now, a nice bit of symmetry there or something, isn't there? There is. So if if you don't have enough captain, make him captain. Uh, <laughs> I, I've captained him this week without a doubt again. Third week or fourth week in a row, I think it is. Yeah, I think against Watford, he's, you'd back him. Like he's the odds on him scoring are crazy low. I I, I did look it up. I think. For our bet of the week that we'll talk about later on now, I did look, he only got me the one. He hit the post and got he hit the post one twice. last week. <laughs> he was superb last it's week. It's only four to one. It's only four to one to score a two or more. So, like, they're definitely thinking he can do it. But someone who did score two last week, Chris, was Mares. So, if only I'd backed him. But again, he's in my fantasy football team, so he's not doing too bad. Yeah, he's another one that's been in incredible form this year. Um, I think it was it was after a couple of weeks the rumours were out that Arsenal and Barcelona would be making a move in January. I think that was premature, but if he keeps playing the way he's going, he's he's definitely going to have options of a move if he wants it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of laughed that off when I did hear it, but as you say, if he goes on till the summer, like there'll definitely be suitors. Yeah, he, he's he's in the form of his life as well, just like Barry. <laughs> The problem with those two teams he's been linked with are that they have so many of those type of players. But then you'd have thought that before Barca went out and signed Turan, so you never know what they're thinking. They might move one on and bring one in kind of thing, but if he keeps it up, he's definitely going to have his choice of clubs. Yeah, do you think he sh- shouldn't quite go for a Barcelona or that sort of level? He should go okay, maybe a step up from Leicester, but a step down from the truly elite teams. Yeah, like maybe finishing the season out with Leicester and then if he wants to take up a step in the Premiership, perhaps someone like Spurs would be a good fit. Um, that's if he does want to stay in the Premiership. If he wants to go abroad to Spain or something like that, maybe Atletico Madrid where he's, he's going to play more. If he does wind up going somewhere like Barcelona, he could 
find chances very limited and spend a lot of time on the bench like someone like Affalai did when he moved from PSV yeah I think that kind of big money move to a top 10 team in Europe is probably beyond them right now like, I think Atletico Madrid would be a very good shout or maybe one of the Porto or Benfica that kind of team who are competing in Champions League football but they're not going to be as in he wouldn't get his game at Bayern, Barca, Real, that kind of team. But if you go below that level, he he might find a very good place for himself. Yeah, it's funny that you should, you should mention Spurs because when I was thinking of him going to an English team, they were the ones that popped into my head. <laughs> it, it always seems to be, if, if you're if you're talking about going to a team that's not quite the top level, but it's a step up, it's kind of Spurs you go to. Yeah, they do seem to be the only team in their bracket. <laughs> You've got the. City, United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool who are kind of in that top bracket and then you've only got Spurs who buy, who have the money to buy a player and then beneath them you've got Everton and Southampton Everton are probably in that bracket but they don't spend a lot of money very often so it's, it is just, it, it's Spurs and and you can see them playing in white next year Interesting alright Speaking of Spurs uh, they played Villa on Monday night and Villa have a new man in charge uh, Gary what do you know about him? I don't, I don't know a huge lot about him. He was Leon manager at, at one point, and I know he's an ex-Arsenal player from a, le- a long time ago, but apart from that, I don't know much about him. Do you think uh, he has a tough job on his hands at Villa? Yeah, I think anyone that was going to take the Villa job is going to struggle. They haven't got... I think we said that it was here last week, the week before, they lost the spine of the team in the summer and they weren't given much money to replace three good players in Del Blair and Ben Tekic. and it's just it's just showing now like Ru- Rudy Gassel was left on the bench and he's the only one who really see it look like scoring for them all season yeah uh, of the game Spurs won 3-1 and uh, Harry Kane got a goal again Chris is he uh, back to somewhere near the level he was at last season or is it too early to say that I think it's a little early to say that because he was so good last season. He's definitely um, on the way back. I think from probably the Man City game, that that shot came back out to him and he had the open goal and he just had to kind of control it in under the crossbar. I think when that went in, it was turning for him. It was maybe his chance. I think that was the moment he kind of knew that he was going to get back on the score sheet on a regular basis. And I think he's a talented finisher and he worked so hard for the team he's gonna go on and get better and better with time yeah as you say with that one against City if he had have missed that could have been his confidence completely blown because it was a, a, a very good chance like but it could have he could have easily have missed it as well yeah I mean it's such small margins in, in professional football I mean the one thing I would say as all good strikers do even when they're not in form is they get into the right positions and he was definitely getting in good positions in the build up to that game like he was maybe hitting the post or maybe like getting one on one with the keeper and he just wasn't finishing like the signs were there that the goals were going to come so it was just a matter of time for him yeah um, I don't know if he's watched him in my football there on Sky but they were mentioning Spurs's the spine of Spurs's team and I was pretty impressed by it. Did you see it, Stephen? No, I, I didn't. Um, but if you do go through it, you got players there who are either 
playing international football somewhere along the lines of um, Loris, where you got and Kane. They got very of youth too as well. Like they haven't, even though they have a good spine, it's a young spine that can grow over the next couple of years. People like Alderweireld, um, even their midfield, Dembele, Delali, they're all. Well, if they're not under twenty five, they're just over it. I think if if Pochettino can work with them over the next year or two, and they sprinkle it with a little bit more talent, and they just get consistent, they can definitely challenge with that before. Yeah, what the who they mentioned was they had like Loris and Nets and uh, Vertonghen and Alderweireld, the centre backs, Dalali and and Dyer in the middle, Kane up top, and like it's quite an imp- and then they've got Eriksson in a floating in around there as well. It's talking of him getting a new contract. It's it's an impressive kind of setup he's get he's getting himself there. It is, and like I said earlier, they're young. So they have time, and Barcelona looks as though you can work very well with a young team, get them well drilled. Like they're not as as expansive as flowing as previous Spurs teams, but previous Spurs teams didn't win anything. They were expansive and free flowing, but they they'd lose games four two as easily as they'd win them four two. I think he's they're a bit more solid now. Now, like I said, with players like um, Christians or. Christian Eriksen, sorry, people like Lamella, if if they can start playing in and around this solid structure and creating goals, then they're gonna challenge the best teams in England right now because I don't think the level in England is as as high as it has been over the last decade. So you've got a chance where Tottenham are competing with teams who are quarter final of Champions League rather than competing with finalists of Champions League and they have a chance they have a chance for to like get top four or do you think they have a chance to actually challenge I think it's probably too early to say challenge for a title I think top four is, is definitely like their contenders if you look at th- there's probably going to be a, a slot this year vacated by Chelsea so you've got Spurs and Liverpool right now look the two the two teams best position to, to to take that fourth spot. Now I know Leicester are in it right now, but realistically, I don't think you can expect them to stay for thirty eight games. So if Spurs can beat Liverpool in the, this season, I think they'll t- they'll finish in the Champions League spot, and from there, then they can hopefully build on the way Spurs did in the last time they got Champions League football. Leicester and the Southampton of last year kind of up there now, but won't stick it out. It's not even they won't stick it out. They'll. They're punching above their weight right now. You can't see people like Fardy and Mares and Mark Albrighton bringing them to a top four finish. Now, they'll, I think they'll do well enough to finish seventh or eighth, ninth. But like, can anyone else see them finishing top four this season? The thing I would say, the comparison with Southampton is Southampton kind of got to where they were last year with a solid defence, whereas. Leicester are winning the games like 3-2 all over the shop. I think if Vardy or Mahrez does have a little bit of a, a dry spell, I don't think they're going to be able to keep the clean sheet Southampton did. Not the very good point. Defensively, they're not very... Like they've gone down by two goals in is it three of the last five games. Oh, they're, they're making a habit of coming from behind, they are. Yeah, and the problem is that that's grand while you have two players in form who are scoring. But as Chris says, if that dries up, then... You're losing games two nil, three nil, and then the the wheels fall off the wagon. 
as it were. Yeah, I mean, the best team, even the best teams in the world, like Madrid, Brazil, and their day, like they all found out eventually if you come up against a well organized side, you can't outscore every team on the planet. And as good as Leicester have been, they're not as good as those sides. So, like, like we said, I think once, once they're in tough games and they need to win them 1 0, I'm not, not quite sure they're going to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a fair point, all right. Um, just one other game I want to just briefly mention about last weekend was Everton v Sunderland. So we couldn't let it pass without mentioning it. Uh, Kone with a hat trick. Anyone see that coming? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> one of my my favorite quote of the weekend, definitely. I think I read it in the paper. I did. I read it. I read it in the paper actually. And Sam Allardyce was saying that Jermaine Defoe can be his Aguero. It didn't quite come. Didn't quite happen this weekend, did it? Well, he did score. Um, I do. I do get what Sam means in that, but obviously on a much smaller scale. I mean, Defoe is probably the the highest quality player they've got. Certainly the one with the the most distinguished career. Um, you pro you probably say that if they are going to stay up, they're going to need him to score goals. Um, I'd have him starting every game because you know he is a threat. He 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 knows where the back of the net is, and he scored goals in the Premier League for a long time for a number of different clubs. Um, the problem Sam has is that a lot of the other players just aren't up to the standards, and the defense is very poor. Um, he's going to need to work some of the magic he did at the likes of Bolton and West Ham to get them in shape and if they're going to have any chance of staying up yeah everyone seems to be a bit inconsistent this season don't they They, or is that just me kind of being a bit too critical of them I think it's they're one of those teams where they're not going to be able to perform at the level the way I was talking with Leicester earlier they're not they're not consistent enough because they haven't got the squad depth so, so if they lose one or two players their their form is going to dip like if, if if they're missing Lukaku for a week or two, you might get Naismith coming in and performing, but you can't. They can't cover an, a loss like Lukaku or a loss like maybe Coleman and Baines together or um, Jagielka or Stones. I think if they had two players at each position, then they'd be a lot more consistent. But like they've had to bring in Finnish Mori over the last few weeks, and he's he is learning on the job, having just come over from Argentina. So. That's difficult. He's going to make some mistakes early on as he gets used to the faster pace. So I think it's almost inevitable that they're not going to be as consistent as the teams who've been on. Yeah, no, definitely true. Definitely true. And it's probably typical of everything over the last kind of all the Premiership years, nearly. It's kind of what you associate everything with. Yeah, it's when they've been able to keep a consistent, strong first in place. They're a match for anybody. But if they lose four or five players to injuries and the backups just aren't good enough. People like Kevin Morales, who isn't in the squad right now. Gerard Delefeu, who was in and out the season he was there for the first time. They just don't have the consistent level of talent that that will mean they can compete with the, the top four or five. Cool. That's enough football talk for the moment. I think let's move on and talk about a bit about the rugby. So, the Rugby World Cup ended last weekend, and was it the best 
Rugby World Cup so far? Gary, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'd say it has to be the best World Cup ever at the moment. Just It started off with the South Africa-Japan game and just every, pretty much every game uh, throughout, there's been talking points to do to do with pretty much all the games. You've got Wales against England with Rob Shaw's the call Rob Shaw made instead of taking the taking the draw when they're touching it backfired. You got a good final between Australia and New Zealand. Argentina beat, unfortunately beating Ireland the way they did. I don't think many people would have seen that coming. So I think from all standpoints, easily the best one ever. Uh, Chris, speaking of the final, 34-17 to New Zealand. Did you enjoy the final? Was it one of the better finals you've seen? Oh, absolutely. It was much improved from the one of four years ago. Um, New Zealand looked just a different class for right up until they got the yellow card. Um, I have no arguments with the yellow card. I thought it definitely was one. And then in credit to Australia, they scored 14 points with the man advantage. I mean, I think we, we're always talking about if you can get 10, you're doing well. So for them to get 14 against the All Blacks is an incredible effort. But once they were the New Zealand were back up to full strength, they just had that extra gear to, to kick on again and close the game out. And they are, they are um, as Stephen mentioned in his article, the best team in the world and they're the standard right now. Yeah, you mentioned that yellow card. It was a final of firsts. It was the first yellow card in the final. It was also the first time both teams scored two plus tries in a final. So we weren't certainly weren't lacking entertainment. No, plenty of talking points. Um, I don't think anyone could have too much issue with the yellow card, and the rugby was incredible. The both sides played. I mean, it was it was just like a who's who of world class players in every position. Yeah, speaking of those uh, world-class players, Stephen, we've got the likes of McCaw, Nanu, Carter, Smith. Most of them, if not all of them, their last game in an all-black shirt. There's no better way to go, is there? Not really, no. <laughs> Back-to-back world champions. Um, yeah, the thing is with, with New Zealand is that the loss of McCaw is going to be huge, but you've got Sam Kintrew. The loss of Nanu is huge, but on the bench you've got Sonny Bill Williams. The loss of Carter, sure. That's I think that's one loss that's gonna take time to you can't unearth possibly the the best fly half in in the history of world rugby. So they're gonna lose some world class players, but what's gonna happen is in four years time they're gonna have world class players in place for twenty nineteen. Right now we mightn't know who some of the names are, but if you'd asked who Milner Scudder was twelve months ago a lot of people wouldn't have a clue. But now if you if you're asking people to name a world fifteen he's going to be in contention for one of the wing spots I just think that conveyor belt will always be there and in four years time they'll be ready again regardless of who the names are they're going to be the team to beat yeah um, you mentioned Sonny Bill there did you see him giving away his medal you have to give the the um, for his tackle security yard yeah for, for his tackle on a 12 year old that was that wasn't a bad one England could have done with some of that the, the, yeah, the jokes I heard was it was the best tackle made by an English player all tournament. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> by an Englishman all tournament. Yeah. Um, that was that was a nice touch by Sonny Bill, wasn't it? It was a very nice touch. And in fairness to the RB or World Rugby, sorry, as they're now known, 
to give them the medal and the presentation was also a nice touch just to kind of it was it was nice the way they did as well like we found one left over and uh got McCaw to present it to him as well yeah i think it's, it's stories like that that actually help rugby around the world when you hear about that kind of thing those things go viral and they're spread people have seen the video and, and will now have a huge if they didn't already have an extra level of respect for the all black team that they're not just kind of robots dressed in black who d- destroy everybody they also are people beneath the jersey yeah um just to round off the whole rugby world cup final chat or rugby world cup chat but uh can I safely assume that everybody's highlight of the tournament was Japan beating South Africa? No, not for me. No? As much as I did enjoy that, um, being an Irish fan, my highlight was the, the performance and the, the match against France. Just the atmosphere and everything? The atmosphere in the Millennium Stadium was absolutely incredible. And I thought the way the Irish team dealt with the match, especially as we lost key members throughout, was just fantastic. And... I know France aren't the team that they were a few years ago, but just to see us control a game like that against a team that has a reputation of beating us down the years was it was very enjoyable, and that, that was my moment in the tournament. I think if you'd asked me the day after that game, I'd have said those two events, the game and the game, were the two biggest. But in the context of the World Cup and what happened a week after, I think that kind of let let down that as your of my highlight at the moment i think it's it's the courage to go for the for the try against south africa to me it's not even the scoring of the try it's 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 that these teams were going right where were they a point down no they were three points down against south africa yeah you could take the draw save face but the fact it was the courage to go for that for that five points to win the game against South Africa, I think for me was the moment of the whole tournament. And Gary? Uh, yeah, I'd probably say say Japan, South Africa, but the Wales beating England wouldn't be too far behind it either. Okay, cool. And Frolius, who was your player of the tournament? DC, Dan Carter, I think it has to be. Um, as much as I was kind of hoping Australia would win just for just for the fact that it wouldn't be New Zealand two years in a row kind of he it was a fitting end for him I mean he's been the best out half in the world for probably since 2005 in that Lions tour so I think if anyone deserved a World Cup medal it was him and definitely the player of the tournament for me and Gary uh, again I'd probably I'd probably agree with Chris, with Chris on that Carter was he was head and shoulders above everyone else, but I think what the player actually enjoyed watching the most for the World Cup was uh, the Japanese fullback Goromaru. I just thought he was—he just—he had a great tournament, and Japan were unlucky not to not to go further than the group stage. Yeah, I think Carter is probably the correct call. I thought the other other contender would have been Pocock. I think when you saw it, when he didn't play against Scotland, the effect that it had on, on the Australia team and. In the semi-finals and finals, he was superb. I think it's character with, with Pocock a close second. Yeah, I the World Player of the Year was announced and Carter won it. Do you think it? I, I think it should have been Pocock, probably. I, I think if if you look at that final, um, when Australia scored the fourteen points to get back 
within within four of New Zealand and it was it was Dan Carter who was the, the best player on the pitch who just kinda of stepped up. He kinda of kept a cool head, he he kicked position, he ran when he had to run, he took his drop call. I think he just controlled the game when Australia were within striking distance and made sure they didn't get any closer. I think he, he even took a penalty with his right boot just because he wanted to. Yeah, I think just to, to have that level of control in the biggest match of them all, it's hard to look past him for the, the player of the tournament. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I just thought Australia wouldn't have got anywhere near the final if it wasn't maybe for Pogok. Like the transformation they've had this year, I know we mentioned it with Cheka and stuff like that. Um, don't get me wrong, Carter is an unbelievable player. But possibly should have. I, I, I possibly don't think. I, I just think Pocock should have won it. I, I think I read somewhere that like the right player won it, but the wrong year or something. Like that. Kind of like what happened with McCaw and O'Driscoll. Do you remember that year when McCaw won it, and everyone said O'Driscoll probably should have won it? Yeah, or it's just it's when like in football where they gave Ryan Giggs player of the year when clearly he wasn't just because he was retiring. I think every sometimes award ceremonies are given to the person who deserves it over their career rather than just that calendar year I think yeah like I'd agree with you I'd, I'd give it to Pocock but they tend to give it to across a lot of sport they tend to give the player of the year to the to, to the player who plays for the world champions yeah well if you win you have a much better chance obviously exactly and yeah. if you came down to a coin toss Dan Carter has been doing it for 10-12 years Maybe that that's also influenced their choice. Maybe. Um, speaking of winners, Hansen, the All Blacks coach, it looks like he might possibly quit after the Lions tour in 2017. Um, should we be worried uh, that Joe might be picked from us? I don't wish we were worried just yet. I think with the quarterfinal loss to Argentina, Joe's the chance of Joe taking over in 2017 is probably diminished quite a bit. I think he'd need a another Six Nations win to get the Lions job and then if he brought the Lions down and beat New Zealand in New Zealand then you might see him get it but I'd say if, if Schmidt isn't the manager of the Lions winning tour down there I'm not sure he gets the job next. Is it between him and uh, Warren Gatland to lead the Lions you think? Stuart Lancaster maybe? He's a <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know we turned into a comedy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, it depends on how next year. If Fern Cotter does a superb job at Scotland, if they can build on what's happened over the last f- six, seven weeks, then Cotter might be in. I think Schmidt is probably in pole position right now. Um, Gat- well, do they want to? I suppose he won last time, but. And because he's the first one to win one in quite a while. I think it would be his if he wanted it. That that's where I think, I think it's if he wants it, I think he will get it. I I think he'd love to because he was, for all intents and purposes, devastated when he he didn't get the the job when Henry left in yeah. the New Zealand one. I mean, but from what I gathered, like I was in New Zealand for the last World Cup, he's not very liked down there either. You not like the most players. Yeah, exactly. That's why I said the either part. Um, <laughs> I think if if you're a Welsh fan, you do like him because he's done done very well for your country. But apart from that, yeah, he's not a very popular man. So I think he would love the opportunity to kind of 
beat the All Blacks and kind of show them what they're missing. Two fingers up to them. Something like that, or, or like, this is what I can do now. Let me let me come and manage the, my country, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. I'm sure that'll be a conversation for another day. Um, you mentioned Lancaster there, Stephen. Here, Sam Burgess might make the switch back down under. Yeah, there's talk he said he's gonna switch back to league. Now, the latest I heard was that it might be Leeds Rhinos from Bath. Um, I think, yeah, the whole experience from it's it's a whole experience for him. I just think he's had to take a lot, a lot of of the, the flack for England's um, group exit, and a lot of it isn't his fault. I think if he, if you gave him an extra year or two in Union, if he if he converted in 2012 instead of 2014 I think you could see a very good centre for England but a year wasn't enough time he's taken the flack and if I was him I'd go back to the league where you're you'll be adored rather than having to play for a bad team who every every English fan right now blames Burgess or Lancaster I think it'd be very difficult to develop into a world-class player with that pressure on you all the time I did actually read an article from his uh, his club um, head coach Mike Ford, saying that he has two years left on his contract and he will be staying, but not as a centre, as a, a number six. I did hear that as well, actually, and it's almost like they don't know where to play him. He's been moved all over the place. They did have the same kind of thing with Farrell when he made the change. I think he he started in Union as a flanker and then eventually moved into centre. Kind of a reverse of what Burgess has done. But it sounds like the England had brought him in purely to play as a centre. And Bath were told, look, we, this is a prospect player. We need him to play games in this position, regardless of whether or not Ford actually wanted to play him there. I think now that, that the World Cup was gone, he might have more freedom to, to play him wherever he wants to. But from the sounds of it, Burgess wants to go back to league and I can't blame him. Yeah. Um, just one last thing to wrap it up then was uh, the news this week that Paul O'Connor looks like he'll be out for up to eight months. Um, but uh, he's sticking with his contract at Toulon, so looks like we probably won't see him this season. Although, if you listen to what Toulon is saying, they said he could be back by late January. But by the sounds of it, we, don't see him th- we won't see him this season. But hopefully he still gets a good year at Toulon next year. I think if you listen to everything that Toulon chairman said, you'd you'd lose a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, O'Connell said himself, four months minimum, six months more likely, and up to eight months. And, and again, like he said, he's he's not young anymore. It's going to take him time to to build up that muscle again. It's a, it's a massive shame he's not playing in the in the games against Leinster. Although you guys probably disagree. <laughs> but I, I, I was I was really looking forward to seeing him actually, to be honest. Yeah, I think it, it's a shame from a, a spectacle point of view not seeing back. But um, you might see him in the final, maybe. You never know. <laughs> um, just speaking of O'Connell quickly, uh, now the World Cup's over, the s- seven of the Sky Sports rugby pundits had a quick look forward to the Lions Tour in 2017. And one of them picked O'Connell in their starting 15 for a Lions game. Would that be his final game in rugby? Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. He's he's that good, and providing he goes back from the injury at the, at the same level he left at, he's like his game isn't based on pace or anything like that. I'd say in the same way that um, 
South Africa brought back Matfield. He's 38. O'Connell's good enough. It just, if you can say injury free, you never know. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, moving on, looking at the, a quick Pro 12 roundup. So, uh, Stephen, your beloved Munster had a provincial derby there and uh, came out on the right side of it just about. Yeah, nine try thriller endowment. That didn't happen yeah. very often. <laughs> um, yeah, just um, again, I've only seen the highlights. So I wasn't able to watch the full game, but the looks of it, they're looking good when they attack, not so much in defence. Which is again a problem we saw last year, that they're they're able to score tries, but they're letting in soft ones. Now also, uh, got got a couple of players back from the World Cup as well. Um, we had bring back in many Sanders against Verb and thankfully he qualifies for Ireland now. So there's there's uh, the first name on the on the Lions seventeen, I think, from my point of view. Um yeah, five points. Third in the table, two points off Scarlets, who are our only defeat this year. I think it's looking pretty good for the European Cup, especially with Treviso as the first game. Yeah, speaking of uh, Treviso, Gary Leinster were away to Trevi- Treviso. And it was a pretty comfortable 27-3 victory for them. Yeah, it was a, uh, some good tries in there and good play from Leinster. I was very surprised though, to see, considering Sexton was playing, that uh, kicking duties were with Fergus McFadden. So, But it was an overall good good performance and no real, no real faults with Leinster. No, it kind of looked like they were getting slowly back to... The Leinster we all know and love, except for Stephen. Um, the Leinster we all know and love and they're attacking rugby. It was nice to see Sexton back in the blue. And uh, I did pick up on that when I was watching the game with the whole Sexton not taking kicks. And apparently Leo Cullen came out there yesterday, the day before. And what he said was that it was just precautionary because Sexton had gone off for 10 minutes with the yellow card. They just didn't want to take any risks. And Fergus had been taking the penalties for Leinster and stuff like that. So... They just kept at it, but Sexton is the penalty taker for them. Yeah, no, that, I I didn't actually see that, but I was happy that it, it was just a precaution because I was getting worried that Fergus McFadden was going to be taking over the kicking duties in the team that has Sexton and Madigan there. Yeah, nice to see them. Bring, <laughs> nice to see them bring them back. Some of the lads like Healy was on the bench and stuff. And uh, just wrapping up the provinces there, Chris Connacht had a, another win and. They're riding high on the table with a fourteen nine win over Edinburgh. Yeah, I think they were they were the home side, but a win over Everton or over Edinburgh, sorry, is, <laughs> it's not the easiest to come by. So I think the the sports ground down there is just a fortress for them, um, especially as as we move into November, December, January. It's just a nightmare to play down there, and traveling teams are gonna find it very difficult. So another great win for them. I think we need to make a trip down there. Yeah, well, um, Galway's always a good spot for a, a weekend, but I think if we had a choice of playing Connacht down there, maybe sometime in September would be nice with it when the weather's still quite pleasant. Yeah, start her end. So a good weekend for three of the four provinces anyway, but the, the Munster-Ulster game was a good game. Um, moving on now, and just we're only a couple of weeks away from Ireland's game against Bosnia in the Euro 2016 qualifier. Um, I hear Shay Given is a doubt. Stephen, is it a blow that Given's a doubt, or is he not our number one anymore anyway? I think it's a blow from experience point of view, 
with the first leg being in Bosnia. I think it's that kind of game where you need your experienced leaders. I think it was at home, and the way Randolph performed against Germany, he was very good, made a number of very good saves. It wouldn't Great be assist. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the best assist since Paki Bonner in Italian 90. Um, I think that game will give Randolph confidence. I'd rather have given there just from a, a leadership and a, and a morale point of view, but Randolph, I think, providing he doesn't make any major mistakes, should be okay. Yeah, um, and so it's not a massive loss if he doesn't play, Gary, no? No, I, I don't think so. Like what Stephen said, it would be good to have him there from the experience point of view, especially with John O'Shea um, going to be missing for that game as well, so he would like a bit of experience in defence. But between Darren Rand- Randolph, he's any time he's played with West Ham, especially cup competitions or whatever, he's looked good. And Kieran Westwood has actually done pretty well with Sheffield Wednesday as well so far this season. So either one of them would be good enough to step in for Shea. Excellent. Um, Chris, it's been announced that the Irish fans are getting 880 tickets for the away game. Is that like... Is, is, that, is that enough? Will, will we... Or... Would that many even go over, or is that not enough for us, or what do you think? Um, I think that many will go over. I think if we had got more tickets, we'd probably have been able to sell them. Um, I'm not sure how big the stadium is over there. I mean, as far as I know, we're entitled to a percentage of the, the overall attendance, so maybe it's just not that big a venue. Yeah, I do think that, because I think Bosnia have got a few thousand tickets off us, so I think it is just a percentage of it as you said yeah from memory it's five percent i think so that would make it about twenty thousand in bosnia and fifty thousand here but yeah it makes sense yeah that that seems about right um any of you planning on going to game the one over here i have no tickets at, at the moment um but if you want to bring me i'm, I'm available I think you, do you have one more round <laughs> podcast credit card chris no <laughs> try to say that <laughs> Watching out for that, I'm checking my. I'm willing to volunteer as treasurer if if that's what you're asking me, Stephen. Right, so Chris I... is now it's now official. Chris is the treasurer of the one more. Whoa, round. whoa, whoa! I just Chris my money. Please, please make all your checks out to cash for Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I just Chris my money left in FIFA. <laughs> we are trusting you. Um, moving on, Stephen. You want to have a quick recap of the NFL from last weekend? Sure. Um, I think the the only not the only major talking about, but the major talking point was that our fan beaten teams went to four. Um, in fairness, one of them had to go because it, the Green Bay Packers were playing the Denver Broncos in in Denver, and a pretty comfortable win. Like uh, the Broncos' defense really stepped up this season. Last season, I think they realized that they couldn't go with Manning all the way to the Super Bowl, so they've they've put thrown everything behind their defence. It's the best in the league. Like Manning only has seven touchdown passes in seven games, whereas two years ago he had seven passes or seven touchdowns in one game. So they can't rely on him to bring the through ball. So they're relying on their defence and so far. Seven wins, no losses. They've already wrapped up their division. They're probably gonna be seeded for the for the playoffs. So from that point of view, Denver are looking good as are the Patriots who are also seven and and the Bengals seven and Um the Panthers now play Green Bay again, so Green Bay go from one undefeated team to another again on the road. The Green Bay could go from 
six and oh to six and two very very quickly but it, i'd still have them as second or third favorites for the nfl playoffs because if you do have to go into green bay again darren Rodgers, he doesn't have very many off days fair enough thanks for that there Stephen. um and chris i'm sure you'll be back with uh, an update of the ufc for us next week as well yeah there'll be a card in sao paulo this weekend so i'm looking forward to that and hopefully have a, a few knockouts to tell you about um, when we do the next pod good stuff looking forward to it um, so we're coming towards the regular end of the show once again and um, Stephen it is your turn to place our bet of the week do you want to talk us through it there no um, after last week's 2 of 5 I think we've gone for slightly safer bet this time um, we have Liverpool at home to Crystal Palace at 8 to 11 Man City away to Aston Villa at four to nine. Chelsea away to Stoke at eleven to ten. Southampton away to Sunderland again at four to five, and then to wrap it up, a Leicester home win against Watford at seventeen to twenty. That for a forty euro accumulator will get you roughly six hundred and ninety-eight euro, I think it is. So about one seventy-five euro for a ten euro bet, if if you're interested. So if those listening at home want to jump on, that's not a bad way to uh, end your weekend with that bit of money. Yeah, it'll start for our Japan 2019 trip fund. Exactly, start saving now. Start saving now, folks. Or, if you want something to go to a bit sooner, there's always New Zealand 2017 for that Lions tour. I think there'll definitely be one of the four of us going, isn't that right, Glenn? <laughs> Quite possibly. Quite possibly. <laughs> um, and I think we started last week as well. It was also our five-euro bet that we do each week. And we're going to, by the end of the season see who has accumulated the most amount of money uh we all lost last week didn't we yeah <laughs> but we're all on minus five euro so i, I, I hope Stephen, you're keeping track of these aren't you yeah although that one wasn't that hard to keep track of to be honest no, <laughs> four <laughs> losses five euro again. this week they're actually only on 45 we're keep, we're, we're going to be dead serious this we're all minus five uh chris your bet actually live at the moment so do you want to tell us about what you've put on your five euro yeah, it's not it's not that live anymore, Glenn. Um, <laughs> Roma scored a penalty and Leverkusen have had a man sent off. So um, the bet I went for was a, a Champions League accumulator. It was Bayern Munich, Leverkusen, Chelsea, Barcelona, and Valencia all to win. Um, Roma have just gone a goal up on Leverkusen and Valencia are still one down. So I've got about 10 minutes stoppage time to try and find... Four goals. Five, because <laughs> Kiev have also equalised. Sorry? Kiev equalised oh. against Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that does bring me some comfort. I mean, I'd pay a fiver to see Chelsea concede another goal, so... <laughs> <laughs> if, I can't, if I can't have five goals, I'll just take one for Kiev. What was your uh, what was your thing behind that bet? Um, to be honest, I, I wanted to back the, the four provinces to do, to win this weekend in, in Anaka, but there was no prices up on Paddy Power, so... It was a, a case of going for the next one, and I just I thought the odds were decent for the teams. Um, the iffy one was for me Leverkusen away in Roma, but I fancied them. I just I thought Leverkusen are going quite well, and they drew drew the first game four all. But I thought Leverkusen had the better defence, and I thought they they have enough to beat Roma. But obviously, it doesn't look like being the case. They they came back well from two 0 down, but it looks like it's getting away from them now. Yeah, and uh, Stephen, what did you go um, for this week? I've gone for what's tentatively the best Premier League game of the season. Um, 
I've gone for Arsenal Spurs and it's Spurs to be winning at half time but Arsenal win at full time and that's an 18 to 1 shot 18 to 1 decent odds and what, what what was the thinking behind that it's just it's one of those games like Liverpool and Newcastle used to be in the 90s where there's no you never know what's going to happen the games do tend to ebb and flow and I think Spurs will start well but I think Arsenal will will scrap it out so it's a long shot I know but I think I've there wasn't that many value bets this week in the Premier League and that was my one. Cool. And uh, Gary, what have you gone for? Uh, I went with Jamie Vardy to score first and Leicester to win 2-1. And that's 20-1. to 1. And is that because the man's on fire? Yeah, as the Leicester fans are singing, Jamie Vardy's having a party, so why not back <laughs> Jump on board. <laughs> exactly, why not? Chris, just an update. Chelsea have scored. Yeah, it was a, a cracking free kick from William. Yeah, it was superb. Yeah, it's no saving that. But on the side, Arsenal have scored, so... They're going to come back and beat Bayern, are they? Four goals in five minutes. Never know. And for my fiver this week, I've gone for a little mini Aka. I've gone for Leicester, Swansea and Southampton all to win. And uh, my five-euro bet is just under it will return just under 50 euro so um, I thought three teams that are kind of on a decent bit of form at the moment Swansea wants to be the dodgiest of the three but uh, I thought they were a decent value at 2 to 1 away in Irish so decided I'll give that a go so it looks like having we, having all lost we've now gone for riskier bets this week <laughs> I guess so yeah I don't think we quite have this nailed down there <laughs> It's a learning process. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, so, we're coming to the answer of the question of the week. So, the question was, only two players have been sent off in the Champions League final. Name the two players. So, before I ask you, does any of you think that you know it for sure? No, not at all. No. I know one of the two, and... The wording of your question kind of threw me initially. Okay, Chris, I'll go to you. How, how did the wording of my question throw you? Because I thought you were going to say, I thought when I heard it was two people have been sent off, so one of my two is a manager. Okay. Um, you heard how I said the question. So I, do, okay. I, know, I know now it's two players, so maybe you come back to me at the end to give me a chance to think, and I'll tell you the manager anyway. For a bonus point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Stephen, we'll go to you. Um, okay. Jens Lehmann in the Barcelona Arsenal final. And I can't think of a second one. Come back to me for that one. Okay, and Gary? Lehmann was one of the, was one of my ones from that final, and the other one I think was Paolo Maldini. Okay, Chris. Okay, the the two that were sent off is the one they already said was Lehman and the other one was Drogba. And the 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 one I had the manager was sent off was Simeone in the game with uh, Atletico and Real. Very good. And we're coming back to Stephen. No, Chris is right, but there's no way I can I can. It, it, Drogba is definitely one of them. 
from yeah. the 2008 final, but yeah, I, I can't claim the point. If... Chris, congratulations. <laughs> Chris, did you know that Lehman was one of them before it was mentioned? I did. I remember that they lost the keeper very early on against Barca in that final. Um, the Drago one took me a second to think of because I was thinking it was a trick question. Because <laughs> okay. I remember Diego uh, going onto the pitch at the end of the extra time, and that was just stuck in my head. But I know that Chelsea had to sacrifice a player for the penalty shootout, and then it was just uh, remembering who it was had been sent off from there. Cool, good stuff. Well, that's uh, is, is that too, do you pull them away with it now? Is it? Well, mm-hmm. am I getting a bonus point for the manager? You're not. No, there's no bonus points. <laughs> Okay. So it, it's... Nice try, though. Nice try. Yeah, I'm gonna stop giving you these little insights if I'm not gonna benefit from them. Then. <laughs> My listeners love them. <laughs> um, if you want the tally, Chris is now taking the lead at six five. Glenn's on one, and Gary still on zero. <laughs> someday, Gary. Someday. Gary, what's yeah, the topic to be next week? <laughs> yeah. I I could pick the topic, and I'd probably still get it wrong. Go on, pick the top, pick the topic there. What, what do you want for next week? No, no, no. We we keep it the way it is. I w- I will get one. I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying life at the bottom at, at the moment anyway. So. Okay, Stephen, Chris, do I just want to pick the topic? No, no. The, the way it's working so far is pretty good. What we could do is make it whoever the last picks topic, but. Yeah, I think. Kind of like a, a buzz scenario. Yeah, exactly. So to give them some sort of advantage. Well. That's it for another week here at One More Round. Thanks everyone for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us via Twitter, email, sound, or Twitter, email, Facebook, or go to our website. We're also on SoundCloud as well. So our Twitter handle is at One More Round Pod, which is the number one. Our email address is One More Round Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, the number one. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash One More Round Podcast. Once again, the number one. SoundCloud, we're soundcloud.com forward slash one more round podcast, the number one. And finally, our website where you can see all our blog posts and all our uh, previous recordings is one more round podcast.wordpress.com, but that's the number that's spelt out O N E. Stephen, Chris, Gary, thanks once again for joining me this week. I hope you have a great week. Stephen, enjoy your trip away tomorrow, <laughs> and uh, I'll talk to you all next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Right. Take it easy. Attempt. Now get up one more round. Get up! Don't lay down like this guy hard. Come on! Come on! He's no machine. I get the Nobel. Get up, you son of a bitch. Making love.